Hi, this is Justin Norman, pastor of Knobs Baptist Church. We'd like to welcome you to the Knobs Baptist Church broadcast. We thank you for joining us and we hope that you'll stay tuned for just a few moments as we have a special song and a message from God's Word. We feature Mr. Archie Watkins. He's saying, it's still, it's still the blood. Once I wandered in sin's black night, there was no way to make my Revelation chapter 15. Revelation chapter 15. I want to begin reading in verse number 1. We're going to read the chapter in its entirety. Ain't but eight verses. 
Bible says, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels, having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the songs of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. The seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. We see here in this chapter a way of introduction, if you will, uh, of the seven vials of wrath which are to come. And certainly uh, we'll see these seven vials or these uh, seven plagues and these seven angels are in view tonight. And next week we'll be getting into the seven vials. But uh, chapter 15 seems to be an introduction. It lays a foundation of these vials and where they're coming from. Kind of different uh, from the other uh, sequences of events. And uh, for we see first of all tonight I'd like to point out this sequence. If we see here in chapter 15 in verse 1, John said, I saw another sign in heaven. This is yet another one. And certainly we've seen the seals as they were opened, the seven seals. we also seen the seven trumpets as they were sounded. And here is yet again another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. And we kind of see this secession, if you will, of these events. For we've seen the seals first, and then the trumpets, and now we see these vials, these seven vials, all of them being numbered seven, which is a number of completion, and which I find very interesting, and I'm sure you do as well, and uh, it's very needful for us to examine every little detail of these things, but uh, to see that uh, things come in their appointed time. It's very interesting, I've pointed this out before already, it seemed like the very seventh seal, uh, the very last event in uh, this number of sevens, the very last one, seemed to always overlap the first of the next series or the next sequence. And certainly the last seal as it was opened ushered in the first trumpet. And the last trumpet as it was blown seemed to usher in this vials of wrath. And uh, many people may say that they kind of intertwine or they intermingle. And I could understand how one would see that. But further study would indicate, just as we see tonight, John saw another sign in heaven. But get this. Great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven what? 
the seven last plagues. So we know this is the end. So they can't work uh, simultaneously, I guess is the word. They, they don't all work together and in unison, but there's a sequence of these events. For we've seen uh, the seven seals, in a sense, the first several seals was almost like those birth pangs. This tribulation had not begun yet, but then it started. And here we see as it is beginning to wrap up for certainly there was great things which God had done during this tribulation period. Things that he done purposefully. But we see in these seven vows that this is the wrath of God. As verse 1 says, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Now we've seen some pretty strong judgment. We've seen some divine judgment which would be poured out upon this wicked world throughout the seals and throughout the trumpets. But here, in particular, uh, we see a wrath of God that is not mixed with any kind of long-suffering. That is not tempered. It's not calmed down with mercy. But we see, Brother Gary, the wrath of God. It's hard for us to fathom. It's hard for us to decipher that, I guess you could say. Because we always see God as loving, don't we? But certainly God is a just God. God is a God of judgment. Just as much as He is a loving and compassionate God, He is a just God and He is a God of judgment. And he deals justly with each and every individual. And certainly when this wrath is poured out, you can mark it down. It's not done unjustly. And we'll see that here in a few moments. Uh, but this wrath of God is poured out without mercy and it's done justly. Holy. It's amazing to see and I believe that this introduction does lay a wonderful platform for us to Study these vials of wrath as they are poured out. We see, first of all, this sequence. Certainly, this vials of wrath, these seven vials, they're opened in their uh, proper time and poured out in their proper time, and certainly they are to follow. Just as this seventh trumpet was sounded, I believe that these vials are the beginning. As this seventh trumpet is sounded, these vials will be begin to pour. We see not only the sequence that's very plain Jane in the scripture here, very obvious for us to realize in verse 1, but we also see the saints that are martyred. Look at verse 2. John said, And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name. For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. We see here without a doubt, martyred saints of this tribulation period. Now, if you'll remember the martyr that were around the throne several chapters back, how they plead, they were pleading 
for the vengeance of God upon this wicked world. And it's as if God said and the angel said, No, right now is not the time. For certainly vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will recompense. And in his due time, his due process, uh, he will bring vengeance upon this wicked world for uh, the martyred saints even of old and even of today. Each and every one that has died for the cause of Christ, certainly it may have been their prior even on their deathbed or at their dying moment that God would binge them of their blood. That this wicked world would see that God certainly is true and He's just and holy. And uh, as we've seen the prayers of these martyred saints, we see here in this chapter, as John had saw, uh, these martyred saints that had come through this tribulation period. Now, uh, certainly many people may ask who are these martyred saints and there must be much debate. I've noticed throughout the commentaries that I had read and studied that there was much debate on who these martyred saints are. And uh, I find it very interesting to study, but uh, we must take Scripture and interpret Scripture with it. Uh, we have to use the Bible to let it interpret itself. And certainly that's what it's supposed to do, for it walks hand in hand. There's nothing in here that contradicts itself or contradicts doctrine. And certainly we should use the Scripture to determine who these martyred saints are. Because many folks may believe uh, that there will be martyred saints, as the Scripture says right here. And, oh, well, that means that uh, Christians will die for their faith and and uh, they're going to go to heaven. I don't believe that's what the Bible's teaching. For we must read the Scripture and examine it and each and every point of doctrine to get a true interpretation. Let me point out, first of all, uh, nobody, there ain't a single person, there's not a single soul on this earth, at this moment or even from the very beginning of time, I said this Sunday and I'll say it a thousand more times, there's nobody going to get to heaven without going through and by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Somebody say amen right there. Amen. If you didn't, I'd worry about you. You see, there ain't nobody going to get to the Father but through Jesus Christ. That's all there is to it. That's the most simplest thing that we believe. Even the Old Testament saints, as we said Sunday, boy, could you imagine that meeting that Jesus had Boy, as he was buried and for three days, his body most certainly laid in a tomb. But Jesus Christ himself, he preached to those that were captive, even at that place of Abraham's bosom. Can you imagine the Old Testament saints? I still can't get over that simple thought. Brother Gary, you imagine Brother David. Imagine King David sitting there at Abraham's bosom and Jesus comes walking up. I believe each and every one of them bowed down that day. Boy, as they heard the gospel preached to them. Boy, they've been longing for this Messiah to come. And they finally got to see Him. They got to meet Him and experience what He had done for the lost man. Boy, I, I imagine it was an amazing time. I'm surprised that it wasn't longer than three days. <laughs> Boy, I tell you what, I bet it was a good meeting down there. But you see... Even the Old Testament saint, they didn't get to heaven without Christ. Nobody now is going to get to heaven without Christ. It just ain't going to happen. 
Not even in the tribulation period, nobody is going to get to heaven without first going through Jesus Christ. It's as plain and simple as that. And people, I've seen it. I'm sure you've seen it. You've heard somebody make the comment. Somebody may have this mentality. Uh, they say, oh, well, these people had overcome the beast and uh, over his image, over his mark and the number of his name. And these were those that were martyred. They didn't take the mark. And, and, and I, I've seen people uh, that was lost as Job's turkey. And they, they've not professed in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But yet somebody, some way, form, or fashion, they have heard about this passage. They've heard about the end times. They've heard about the mark of the beast in the last days. And uh, somehow they get it in their mind well, if I don't take this mark, if I lay my life down, I think I'll be all right. If I make it to that point and, and I don't follow this Antichrist and, and I, I die and they kill me, then I'm going to go to heaven. No, that ain't how it goes. So these martyred saints are not just any average Joe which had died by not taking this mark of the beast. I believe certainly there's going to be people that may not take the mark of the beast and be killed. That's what the Scripture's saying. There's people that will not bow down to His image. They will not worship Him. They will not take His mark. And they'll be killed. They'll be martyrs of this tribulation period. We see, first of all, nobody's going to get to heaven without going through Jesus Christ. Their good works ain't going to get them there. You turning down this mark ain't going to get you there. You've got to go through Jesus. Second of all, Scripture tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. You can look it up. For the sake of time, I'm not going to turn there. Bible says that God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. I've preached it several times and we've seen it several times in this study. I do believe that at the beginning of this tribulation period, when the church is called out, each and every individual that is lost upon the earth, that moment in time, God will send strong delusion. Those are left behind during this tribulation period with one exception, and the scripture tells us who. With one exception. And I'll get to that next. We see that those that are lost as this tribulation period begins, that God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. So I know when this tribulation period starts, I know that those individuals are lost. Those individuals have no more opportunity to get saved. I've heard people say and heard people preach, well, I believe people will get saved in the tribulation period and I, I don't know where they get that and they may hang their hat on these verses that there are martyred saints but we're going somewhere we're digging up we're plowing taters working away there brother Gary I know that each and every person entering into that tribulation period that is lost did not get raptured out with one exception and I'll show you that here in a second each and every individual will be given strong delusion. It's plain, it's obvious, it's clear. Those people are lost as Job's turkey. 
Those people are just like Pharaoh and his army. Their hearts will be hardened from the truth of the gospel. Boy, it's going to be a sad time for them. Certainly we've seen God do marvelous works even in this divine judgment which is given. And we've seen throughout our study. And I still find it very amazing, very interesting and unique of the fact that God had showed Himself almighty to a lost and dying world. He has proved Himself unto the sinner man. When the sinner man didn't even believe or know or trust God. God still saw it fitting to be long-suffering unto him. Just as He did Pharaoh and Pharaoh's army. For certainly, plague after plague after plague, their hearts were hardened, but yet we see another miracle that was wrought, divine judgment that had come, or yet another plague that had come, and brought great devastation upon the Egyptians. We see the same thing happen here. The Bible tells us that a lost man, as he enters into this tribulation period, that's it. He'll believe a lie, strong delusion, hardened heart, no more opportunity. It's dangerous for an individual to say, well, I'll just wait. When the Lord comes back and I see that this is all true, then I'll accept Him as my Savior. That ain't how it goes. I've heard people say, well, Justin, it's just not fair. For there's people all over the world that have not heard the gospel of Christ. Certainly. Why do you think we preach the Great Commission? Why do you think we preach and teach how important it is? For even the Apostle Paul had said in Romans chapter number 2 that every man is without excuse. My friend, each and every individual, whether they heard the gospel or not, whether they believed it or not, you know a man can knowingly and even ignorantly reject God. I don't believe the Bible's lying to me in Romans chapter number 2 that man is without excuse. Paul said, Thou art inexcusable, O man. There is no excuse for you. If you've never heard the gospel, boy, you see how much we've let the sinner man down by not reaching him with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Boy, you think about the creation of God. How this world shows His handiwork. How the firmament, every part of His creation shows His very handiwork. Man can look up. He can look around. He can see himself. And he can see everybody else. And know that there must be a God. And each and every individual will be held accountable for what knowledge they have received. It doesn't matter if we think it's fair or not. My Bible says that man is inexcusable. Therefore, we must reach them with the gospel. That's how important it is. That's how urgent this message is. For these people out there that have not heard it. It's not about 
whether you think you're going to have another day to reach them. For my friend, certainly, we may not have another day. I may get killed in a car wreck on my way home tonight. My friend, the Lord may call us home and the gospel would cease, period. You imagine if every Christian boy be raptured out the church age. Boy, the church of God be raptured out. Who's going to tell them the truth then? I ain't going to trust no Joe Osteen telling the truth. Somebody say amen right there. Boy, they can keep all that hogwash and pickle juice. You can throw apples and eggs if you want to. I tell you what, it's important that you and I reach this lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the great commission. It is the great commandment for you and I. For these people out here tonight that are lost. And if the Lord was to come back, that's it for them. God will send them strong delusion. They should believe a lie. It don't matter if they've heard the gospel or not. Man's without excuse. But thirdly, and we've seen this in our study. Thirdly, Scripture is very specific on who is saved during this period. We've seen it. It's been the whole emphasis and is, without a doubt, of this tribulation period. If y'all remember right, this tribulation period is this time of Jacob's trouble, as we read in the Old Testament. It is a time in which God will turn His dealings once again to His people, this nation of Israel. God has always had a remnant, and He always will have a remnant. He'll even have a remnant during this period. We see that there are a remnant that is saved during this tribulation period. This 144,000, as we read in chapter number 7, we see certainly this 144,000 Nowhere have we read throughout the revelation in our study. Nowhere have we read that these people are immune to what is happening. Have you seen it? I hadn't. Some people may debate, well, Justin, in chapter 14, you flip back to chapter 14, it says, I looked and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Sinai, and with him and 144,000 have his father's name written in their forehead. Oh, there he stood with all of them right there. It don't tell you what eternal state they're in or even the physical. How do I know they're in their physical body or glorified body? All I know is he's standing with his people, those 144,000. That's the whole point and the context there. They're a main focus of our study are these Jewish people. I know the scripture says that these individuals are not immune. They're not immune to the trials that'll come. They're not immune to the death that'll come. Certainly, God will spare many of them, their lives, and have a purpose for them during this period. But I believe many will die. Many will faithfully, after coming to the knowledge of the truth, after accepting Christ as their Savior, many of them will die a martyr's death. I believe these martyrs that are 
pictured here in chapter number 15 are none other than the Israelites. These 144,000 that were sealed, not every one of them will die. No, for certainly there's going to be still yet a remnant which Christ would come back for. But many of them will. I believe verse number 3 even tops it off and puts the cherry on top for look at the song in which they sing. Now none of the Gentile nation when we read of their deliverance in chapter number 7 they sung a new song that even the angels couldn't sing. Look at what verse 3 says. And they sang the song of who? Moses, servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. They sung the song of Moses, servant of God. Boy, what a picture of Israel indeed. Israelites. I love what Wolverd said. I, I've, I've got a commentary from Wolverd and I've not been able to put it down. Matter of fact, I put his book and this notebook and my Bible right here together when I'm studying the Revelation. I've got several others that I'll look up, commentaries that I'll find online, other books that I've had, but I've been able to follow Wolverd with much precision, I do believe. And he said, Wolverd states, this recounts the faithfulness of God to Israel as a nation in recognition that the numbered martyrs are among Israelites. And I do agree with that statement. I, I have agreed with most, I'd say probably 90 to 95 percent of his statements as I've followed his commentary. And uh, I find that statement as well to be true in agreement with it. I believe it's biblical. I believe it lines up. I believe that these martyrs are none other than these Israelites which are sealed. These 144. So we see these saints that are martyred. We've seen the sequence. How this seventh uh, or this seven last plagues, last plagues. We know that this time is drawing nigh. We see also the seriousness of these last plagues. As I said at the beginning of the message, I outrun myself, but Either way, I believe it's fitting. We see that there is great seriousness. Look at verse number 5. And after thou looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four angels, or one of the four beasts, gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Certainly these vials or these seven last plagues of wrath, as the Scripture says, will be poured out. This wrath of God that is not mixed or mingled with mercy or grace. It's not mixed or mingled with any kind of compassion for certainly God has no compassion on sin. Sin is wicked. It's evil. God hates sin. And when He casts judgment, even this wrath of God which is poured out 
Yet oftentimes our feeble minds cannot comprehend it. But we see the very holiness of this wrath of God as it's begun to be poured out. Where the angels come from? John said after this I looked and behold the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. These angels had come out from the Holy of Holies. Seven angels came out of the temple having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen having their breasts girded with golden girdles. These angels were prepared for a particular holy work to purge this world of the wickedness that's in it. Certainly when we have to keep this understanding in the forefronts of our minds as we read what is to come. For one may question and wonder why these things would happen if God is so just and loving. But my friend, He's so holy we can't even understand it. He's so holy, boy, when it comes to sin and quenching it and putting it to death, sin itself cannot stand. And when this wrath of God is poured out without that long suffering, Without that mercy, without that grace. There's no more time for repentance. There's no more time for turning. But judgment has come. We see the seriousness of these vows. Kind of in contrast to what we've seen with the seven seals and with the trumpets. We've seen opportunity and after opportunity, but yet man hardened his heart. Here we see a time in which man cannot and will not repent. Boy, it's pretty sad. It's pretty sad to see it. Pretty sad to read it. I'm thankful I ain't got experience 